This is a sermon from Cornerstone Church in Kingston. We're delighted to make these resources available for you and hope that you enjoy the ministry of God's Word today. There are lots of other resources on our website which we are pleased to make available and you can browse our website and download sermons and podcasts, read blogs and articles. And if you've been listening for a while and you would like to get to know the church or for us to get to know you a bit, there is an e-contact card, a welcome card that you can fill in on our website and we'd love to hear from you. Here are some words from Ephesians chapter 2 which we're going to have Uh, opened up and preached to us a bit later on. Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, We've got two readings. Well, the first reading that we had uh, at the beginning of our service, Ephesians 2, 8 to 13. Um, It would be helpful if you could put your finger in that and be ready to turn back to that at some stage. But we're going to have two other readings now. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18 to 31, and then we'll be turning back to Mark chapter 7 um, to have a, uh, a reading in our, Mark, in our Mark series. And it's worth remembering, isn't it, how precious uh, these, these moments are in our service as we come to hear um, the Bible opened and read and preached to us. Um, this is none other than the living God Um, addressing us through his word. Uh, That's what the Bible is. There are all kinds of misconceptions about what it is, but this is the word inspired by the Holy Spirit, breathed out by God, and this is sufficient for all of life, for all of godliness, and contained within these words is everything we need to find salvation in Jesus. This is our God who loves us, who ministers to us and serves us through the preaching of his word. So this is a great gift, isn't it? 1 Corinthians 1, 18 to 31. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, 
But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen. Let's turn now to Mark 7. And we're going to read verse 24 to 30. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Wonderful words from our Lord to us through the Bible. And Pete's going to come and preach them to us now. Well, let me add my welcome. I'm Pete Woodcock. I'm one of the pastors here. And it's been a fantastic week. And I want to thank everyone for putting on uh, meetings and hosting meetings and making teas and coffees and stuff. It's just been absolutely uh, fantastic. I mean, exhausting, but uh, fant fantastic. And we've got one more week to go, which is, which is brilliant. Um, I, I, my, probably my favourite music is, is blues, uh, blues-based music. And so next Saturday is going to be really good. And if you've heard... I heard one note of this uh, female singer, and I said, we've got to have her. And there was no hope that we were going to have her, and now we've got her. So it's just brilliant. It's worth you having a listen to her on uh, Spotify. Uh, uh, and the band are brilliant. Uh, Father God, help us now as we look at this passage. Please speak to us. Touch our hearts. Please don't allow us to go out the same as we came in. Help us to be more like Jesus, to see more of his love, to be more compassionate to others. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, I want us to think at the beginning about privilege and being privileged. I don't know whether you consider yourself privileged. I, I hope you do, because we live in a very privileged part of the world. Um, the Oxford Dictionary describes privilege like this. A uh, special right. Someone who's privileged has a special right, advantage, granted or available to a particular person or group. That's what it is to be privileged. But I want us to have a think like this, because I think to be a privileged person is actually very, very dangerous. Very dangerous. And the more privileged we are, the more dangerous uh, I think it is, and the more danger we can be in. Because privilege can make us think that we deserve, by rights, automatically, without question. Privilege uh, can grow a sort of arrogance and entitlement in us. Privilege can make us feel better than others and behave as if we are better than others and others ought to serve us. We're, we're, we're the deserving ones. That's what privilege can do. Privilege can make us unthankful people and just take the privileges that we have for granted. I mean, that's what I should have, isn't it? without actually being thankful people. And we've seen this as we've been going through Mark's Gospel. You see privilege going wrong. The town of Nazareth had the massive privilege of having Jesus brought up there. We've seen that in Mark's Gospel. But when Jesus returned to the town of Nazareth, they rejected him, they took offence at him. So much so that Jesus ended up saying as he left them, in his hometown a prophet is without honour. And it then says he couldn't do any miracle there. Extraordinary misuse of privilege. Or King Herod, remember the story about him we saw in chapter 6. So King Herod had the massive privilege of hearing John the Baptist preach. I would love to have heard him, wouldn't you? Jesus said of John the Baptist that he's the greatest prophet that's lived. And yet he played fast and loose with that privilege, did King Herod. So much so that in the end, he had John the Baptist's head cut off. Shut the mouth of the preacher, chop his head off. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, and the teachers of the law, they had huge privilege of having the scriptures the Old Testament part of the Bible that we have, and massive opportunities in their learning because they knew how to read those scriptures and they even had time to study those scriptures. And yet Jesus says in John's Gospel to them, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. The very thing that they were saying, look how privileged we are, we have the scriptures, we have the very word of God, you're not listening to. It's extraordinary. The Jewish people as a whole considered themselves to be the children of God. Paul, writing in this amazing book of Romans that you find in the New Testament, writes this in chapter 9. He says, theirs is the adoption of sons. There's the divine glory the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, the promises. 
Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all, forever praised, amen. He's saying that as a nation, these Jewish people had huge privileges. You may not understand all of those privileges, but you can get an idea that they're huge. Adoption of sons, divine glory, covenants, which is, which is like relationships with God, like a married relationship, uh, receiving of the law. That's not just rules, but the blessings of God speaking to them. Temple worship, promises of God, patriarchs, on and on and on. Huge privileges. But Paul also writes in Romans, Romans chapter 4, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindnesses is intended to lead you to repentance? The nation of Israel had huge privileges but they didn't repent. It's a horrible thing, isn't it? I'm sure you agree. When you see people misusing and distorting their privileges into entitlement, or they show contempt for the riches and kindness and patience and privileges that they've received. Sometimes... The only way to teach privileged, entitled people uh, that they're taking things for granted is to take their privileges away. And God, in his kindness throughout history, does that to nations. He removes the privileges. He says, you, you, you're not even thankful for this. There's an amazing sentence, again, in the book of Romans. And when we were going through Romans, uh, we, we were... We were teaching through Romans some years ago. Um, this really blew me away, this sentence. It's in chapter 11, and he's talking about the nation of Israel. And he says, because of their transgression, in other words, they didn't listen, they didn't, they didn't repent, they didn't take their privileges seriously. Because of their transgression, listen, salvation has come to the Gentiles, to other people, to make Israel envious. That's extraordinary. And isn't that what we do with children? You buy them a toy at Christmas, and it's only, uh, you know, seven, instead of, I wanted the latest one, which was eight in the series of toys or whatever. And the kid's all fuming. And you say, if you're a decent parent, if that sort of thing goes on, you say, if you're not going to enjoy that toy, then I'm going to take it away from you and give it to someone who does. And when the other child has that toy, then suddenly the child wants it back. That's how you teach. Privilege needs to be taken away sometimes and given to someone else before we realise what we're missing. Now, in Ephesians 2, which uh, Tom read right at the beginning, there's lots of verses here, so you're going to have to be with me uh, in this one because I want to make this point. In Ephesians 2, Paul is reminding the Gentiles, the non-Jews, of what they were as a people group before they became Christians. And you can see it, if it comes up, or if you can find it, Ephesians 2, verse 11 and 12. Just listen. He says, therefore, 
Remember that formerly, before you became a Christian, you who are Gentiles, not Jewish people, not in the privileged group, you who are Jewish people by birth, called uncircumcised, ugh, by those who call themselves circumcised, which is done in, in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separated from God Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope, without God in the world. You weren't in the privileged group. Now you have come into it, and we'll see that in a minute. But you weren't. Now, what's all this got to do with Mark? We're going to go back to Mark now. Um, I think you see what I'm trying to say really illustrated in this section of Mark. Last week, we saw the argument that was going on between the religious people and Jesus about how you're clean before God. The religious people were saying something like, religious ceremonies, outward washing, that makes you clean before God. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You think that God can not see beyond just a bit of water and beyond the skin. No, it's the heart that needs changing. And there was that disagreement going on. And you can listen to that sermon uh, if you go back and uh, if you didn't hear it. But remember, it was clean, unclean. And then it says, immediately after that conversation that Jesus had about clean and unclean, he goes immediately to what the religious leaders would have seen as a very unclean town, Tyre. A very unclean town. And he has dealings with an unclean woman, a Gentile woman, a Greek woman from that town. And what we see is this woman who has not got the privileges of the religious leaders receiving the bread of life that the privileged Pharisees rejected. That's what we see. And it's remarkable. And I think it's here for a number of reasons. But the main reason I want us to see why I think it's here is to show up and to shame the privileged. It's to show up and to shame the privileged. And that's why Mark's put it here. So let's have a look at this unclean thing. First of all, here's my first point. Unclean place. Jesus goes, after talking about being clean and unclean, to what the religious leaders would see as an unclean place. Look at verse 24 of Mark chapter 7. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. He goes to this unclean place. Tyre, if you know the, the Old Testament part of the Bible, and I'm not going to go and show you it all because there's loads of verses that you could do. Uh, there's a lot in the, in the Old Testament part of the Bible about Tyre. And uh, it's an enemy town, let's just put it that way, to the people of God. And it's a town for all kinds of reasons that is actually under the curse of God. So this is, this is a, not a privileged town, it's the opposite. It's under the curse of God. In Zechariah, which is in the Old Testament, it's a prophet, it says Tyre was, has built herself a stronghold, but then listen, but the Lord, that's God, will take away her possessions and destroy her power on the sea 
and will be consumed and it will be consumed by fire. So Tyre is under the judgment of God. It's about to be consumed by the anger of God. So this is not a clean place. Tyre is the enemy of God under the judgment of God. And here is Jesus in the religious people's minds who's supposed to be bringing the kingdom of God. He keeps banging on about that in Mark's gospel. Going into enemy territory. What do you think he's doing? To the Pharisee mind, he's going to a place that you don't want to touch these filthy foreigners. They are filthy. And we've got loads of rules about washing. If you ever did happen to touch one of these foreigners, you need to wash if you went into the marketplace. But he's not going into the marketplace and accidentally bump into a few dirty foreigners. He's gone to the foreign enemy town. And not only that, he's hired a room in the enemy town. This is a completely uncleanness upon uncleanness. Uh, some of our staff went away on the FIEC conference. It's a, it's, a, it's a group of churches that we belong to, and it was a leaders' conference, and we went to Blackpool. And uh, some of us from the south, you know, we're going up to Blackpool. We thought, oh, yeah, all right. Uh, and I didn't realise what a dump it is, to be quite frank with you. Um, and nor did most of the pastors there, certainly from the south. Some of them stayed in rooms where there were signs up saying, please don't put your drugs needles down the toilet. Shove them in the bin. One of our, our friends who lives around here, or used to live around here, Nathan White, he went into his room. The owner of the hotel opened the room and said, FFFFF, lots of words. My goodness, there's a dead rat died. Is a rat died in here? It stinks. That was the room they were putting him in. <laughs> the floor was wet. There were people coming in, women to service men in other rooms. Unpleasant, isn't it? Now, they didn't choose that. They saw Star Hotel, five stars. Yes, and it ended up like that. But Jesus is going to a dodgy town, an unclean town, where there are unclean people. You've got to remember that xenophobia, the fear of foreigners, is built into Phariseeism. It's one of the ways you know whether you're a Pharisee or not. The fear of the foreigner or the hatred of a foreigner, that's built into Phariseeism. And Tyre was not a town that any clean person would choose to go to. That's the first point. Second point, unclean person. Look at verses uh, 25 to 26. Verse 25, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, that's Jesus, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure or unclean spirit, came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in uh, uh, Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. number of things about her. Just have a look. She comes uninvited. I mean, Jesus, I think, is still wanting to rest. If you remember the story, and if you remember 
the Mark drama. You know that Jesus and his disciples, he wanted to, to take them for a rest. Uh, but wherever he went, people came. And now he's going to Black, uh, Blackpool to take a bit of a, a, bit of a rest here. And, uh, but suddenly, one of the owners of one of these seedy joints comes out. Uninvited. She just comes in. Now, not entitled. I want you to get that. I don't think she's coming entitled. She's just desperate. She's desperately needy. But not only is she uninvited, she's unclean. Look at verse 20, 25. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed uh, by an impure spirit came and fell down at his feet. This woman has uncleanness taken root in her home. There's uncleanness in her home affecting everything. This little child is going to die. There's so much mold around. There's so much uncleanness around in this house. It's affecting the brain and the mentality of this little child, this daughter. This child is going to die of uncleanness, an unclean spirit. So she is unclean. But thirdly, she's a foreigner. Look at verse 26. The woman was a Greek born in uh, uh, Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive out the demon uh, of her daughter. She's a foreigner. She's a Greek. She's a double foreigner, actually, living in this unclean town because she's not a Gentile. So here's this woman then, unclean, no rights, no claims. Uh, she's not from a privileged family. She's not from a privileged Jewish background. She's not from a family where she's had the scriptures and she's heard the word of God. She's not privileged in her connections. She's just a liver in this unclean town that's under the judgment of God. She really shouldn't be there. And if you read Matthew's gospel of uh, this account you'll know that the disciples are basically asking when she comes in, who let the dog in? Who let this dog in? Who left the door open? Is there a cat flap or something that the dog came through? Is there a dog flap? Who let the dog in? She's from the sworn enemies of God, living in a town under the judgment of God. She's from an idolatrous, immoral, cruel, impure situation. And the religious leaders treated her like an unclean dog, and even Jesus calls her a dog. That's what we'll see in a minute. So verse 25. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, Jesus, a woman whose little daughter was possessed with an impure, unclean spirit, came and fell at his feet. The one thing she knew was that she needs to go to Jesus and beg for mercy. That's what she does in Matthew's Gospel. She begs for mercy. But she knows Jesus is Lord. She calls him Lord and falls at his feet. She knows that he's Lord of Israel, but he's more than Lord of Israel. He's Lord of the world, and she's part of the world. She knows that he's Lord of even a place that's under the judgment of God. He must be Lord of someone that's under the judgment of God if God is judging the world. She knows all that. She knows she's not deserving. She's not an elite person. 
She doesn't deserve to be there. She understands that. She's a dog, and a female dog at that. You can understand what they would call her. But it's this woman that receives the blessing. Isn't it? It's this woman that receives the blessing. She's there to shame the privileged. And that's what we see in my next point, the third point. Children versus the dogs. Look at the conversation. Children versus the dogs. You get this in verses 27 and 28 of Mark 7. Here's Jesus answering her. She knows he's Lord. She's fallen at his feet. She's not entitled. She's asking for mercy. And he says this. First let the children, that's the privileged ones, first let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. My goodness, did you hear that? Did you actually hear that? He's just called her a dog. It's, it's racist, isn't it? Isn't he insulting her? Is Jesus xenophobic? It doesn't fit when you read the Gospels that Jesus is xenophobic or hates foreigners. It doesn't fit because he tells everybody that you are to love your enemies as your friends. He also told a remarkable story about the Good Samaritan, one of his most famous stories. And the Samaritan, which were people like this woman, actually, these Samaritans, enemies of God, actually, he calls the Good Samaritan really basically a godly man, where the priests and the Levites uh, were not godly. So it seems odd now. Imagine listening into this conversation. It was after the service. Imagine you hearing Jesus talk like this. I think you would want to butt in, wouldn't you? In, in, in our age today, surely you would butt in and say, I'm really sorry, madam. You know, he's really tired. I think that must be the reason. He's been looking for a tired place, and now he's ended up in here, Blackpool, and, and you've come in, and he was just tired, and he's a bit grumpy, and uh, I, I know he needs retraining in the art of conversation, and he's not very good at evangelism, not at this point, and he doesn't seem to understand political correctness, and how would you, and multicultural societies that we live in. I mean, you've got to remember, he's brought up in Nazareth. You know, it's an all white, you know, no, it isn't all white, but it's an all brown sort of place. And there are you. You know, you know, what's going on? And of course, the disciples, if you read Matthew's Gospel, they're feeling pretty superior about it because they didn't like her uh, at all. And so they think, yeah, well, kick the dog out, for goodness sake. So what is happening here? Well, what is happening is that Jesus knows people and he knows her and he understands exactly what he's doing and he loves her so much that he's drawing out of her faith. He's drawing out of her trust. He's drawing out of her love for himself. It's amazing. Look at verse 27 again. Let, just listen to this. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not good to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. 
You see, we hear that, and it's deeply offensive. But to her it isn't. She's not offended in the slightest. She doesn't say, oh, you Jews. You're, you're always calling us dogs. You're always privileged. You're always superior. You'll always come across better than us. I've had enough of it. I'm going somewhere else then. Shove you if you're going to treat me like that. She doesn't do that. She latches on to one word. Look at it. Look at verse 27. One word she latches on to. What's the one word? What do you think it is? What? No. It's not dogs. What? No. 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 <laughs> Nearly there. No. First. First. That gives you hope, doesn't it? First. Ah. First. That means there might be a second. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. And what happens in her heart is, you mean there could be scraps for me? You see that? He doesn't walk away offended. He doesn't sort of unplatform. She doesn't unplatform him, and uh, you know, cross her off the list. Uh, cross him off the list. She hears first. Now you've got to get this: the word "dog" that Jesus uses is not the word for wild dog. It's actually the word for a little dog or puppy dog. That's the word he uses there. But it's still pretty strong language, isn't it? You know, she could still cancel him and be offended by this because. You're not a child, you're a dog. And you should eat dog food, not the children's food. That's what he's basically said. But she doesn't hear the negative. She hears first. She's not offended. She argues on the basis that not that she's worthy and he owes her anything, but on the basis that she's unworthy, but he's Lord. And if you're Lord, then you're my Lord. If you're a master, then you're the dog's master. That's her argument. You're right. I'm fine. I'm a dog. I am a dog. I don't mind being called that. But that means you're the master. You're the Lord. And I can be a humble part of your household and eat some crumbs. Couldn't I? The Lord Jesus Christ said he didn't come for the healthy. He came for the for the sick. A doctor doesn't set up shop for healthy people. It's not new surgery, healthy people only. Is it? The whole point of a doctor coming to town is to deal with those who are sick. And Jesus has come to town to deal with those who are sick. And he's upset if the sick don't come to him. He wants the sick to come to him. And so she's understood this. This is wonderful Christian reasoning. This is gospel reasoning. This is good news reasoning. In her head, she's worked it out. Doctors come for sick people. I'm sick, impure. I come to the doctor. I don't deserve it. I didn't deserve the doctor coming to town. But the doctor's come to town. So I'm going to go to the doctor. She knew she had no merit to win Christ's help. Blessed, says Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. She's got real faith. Lord, she replied, 
Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She comes and says, Jesus, surely there's some crumbs. Now, let's just set this because I think this is what I've been wanting to do. Mark has set this story in the way he's telling his gospel between two feedings of massive groups of people. We've already seen the feeding of the 5,000 people, all right, 5,000 men plus women and children. Then we have this story, and then if you go to chapter 8 in Mark's Gospel, you'll see the feeding of the 4,000 people plus women and children. In the feeding... Okay, Mark drama people, are you listening? In the feeding of the 5,000 people, how many baskets were left over? How many baskets were left over from a sandwich of a child that Jesus did the miracle and fed 5,000 men plus women and children. How many baskets were left over? Twelve. How many tribes in Israel are there? How many disciples of Jesus are there? Yeah. Interesting, isn't it? All the children, all the 5,000 people on the side of the mountain... All of the men, women and children were totally satisfied and every tribe and every disciple had a basket left, the crumbs left. But they weren't crumbs, they were a basket full of goodies to serve to others. There's always crumbs with Jesus. There's always a fish sandwich. It's like, it was, it's like my mum. Jesus was very much like my mum. Or maybe the other way around. There was always food in the house, as you can probably tell. There's all, the fridge was never empty. Even when a hungry teenager went through the fridge eating whole lumps of cheese and everything, there was always, always, always crumbs for Jesus. Always baskets left over. And it's always been what God's wanted, uh, uh, God wanted God's people to be like. Always, for the foreigner, when you fed, there's 12 baskets, there's five. Now let me just read, this is in the law of God. This is Deuteronomy 29, uh, 24, verse 19. Just listen to this. This is how Israel was always to use its privilege. Listen. When you are harvesting your field and you overlook a sheath, there's a sort of little bit you missed, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. If you want to be blessed by Jesus, by the Lord God, you don't go over your field and get every scrap from it. You leave it for the foreigner to get stuff from. It's called gleanings, the gleanings. Listen, when you beat your olive, uh, when you beat uh, the olives from your tree, do not go over the branches a second time. Don't give it a second beating. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. Listen, when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. 
God's always had enough for the foreigner. Always leave it for the foreigner and the fatherless and the widows, the vulnerable. Remember what you were, people. Remember what you were. You were slaves, but I bought you out of slavery. I brought you to be adopted as sons. I gave you my word and the scriptures. I gave you my promises, my covenants. I loved you. I loved you. Now, you treat the foreigner. And take the crumbs, take the baskets. That gleaning principle is built into the law of God, and Jesus is doing that. That's the feeding of the 5,000. In chapter 8, you get the feeding of the 4,000. And when you read it, it feels like deja vu. What's going on here? We've just done this. And in the Mark drama, it was, I think, um, was it Erica? Did you, did, did you have to say, where is I saw her a minute ago. There you are. Did you have to say, haven't we just done this or something? What was your line? I feel like we just, just, just did this and everybody laughs. Because, and then some stupid people think, oh yeah, Mark forgot he wrote about the 5,000 and so he put the 4,000 in. I mean, he's got to be a bit thick. Uh, these are different things. These are different places. One was for Israel, 12 uh, baskets left over so that Israel can go out, the disciples can go out. One was for the Jews, so they can take those baskets out and feed people with the crumbs, leftovers. But the feeding of the 4,000, he's still in Gentile territory. What Jesus is to the Jews, he is to the whole world. What Jesus is the Messiah for the Jews, he's the Messiah for the whole world. He feeds the Jews and he feeds the Gentiles. And there's always leftovers. There's enough for everyone. So that leads me to my fourth point. Unclean and clean. Verse 29 to 30. Then he told her, this woman, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Verse 30. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon had gone. Cleansed. She's cleansed from the heart. Household has been cleansed. The evil spirit has gone. She's right with God. Look at those words that we read from Ephesians. They're extraordinary. Verse 11 first, if you can go to verse 11. Therefore, he's talking to Christians... Like this woman now, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves a circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope and without God in the world, but now. That's what's happened to her. But now. That's what a Christian is, a but nower. But now. But now. But now what? But now. You were away. You were not privileged. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, once under the judgment of God, once living in Blackpool, once living in Tyre, once living in, in uh, dirty circumstances, seen as unclean, seen as separated... But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
Look at verses 8 to 10 of Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. God's given the gift to this woman. And not by works so that no one can boast. She couldn't boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. You see, she's clean. The unclean is clean. The privileged ones, do you remember them from last week's? They're nullifying the word of God. They're washing their outside. They're not clean. But she is. And Mark is showing us this. It's all to do with coming to Jesus with no merit. Then you're clean. Now, let me apply this. I don't know how long Oh, gosh. Let me apply this. I've got 15 lessons. Um, here's one. Do we take for granted the gifts of God? Are we so privileged we take for granted the gifts of God? Are we acting like spoiled children? Stomping around thinking, well, of course God likes me. Or are we just happy dogs? Happy to be in the family. Really happy with a crumb. That's the lovely thing about a dog, isn't it? All these people buying cats, absolutely out of order. Buy a dog. <laughs> Hate cats. Cats are just, they're not only unclean, they're Pharisees. Um, <laughs> but the lovely thing about a dog is just a crumb, yeah? Actually, even horse poo. Uh, delicious. You know, <laughs> sorry, I can see it now, and that, this is my issue. Um, but it loves, how we say, whack, 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 whack. Are you a spoilt little brat, a spoilt child, or a happy dog? One of the wonderful things we put on in, in, uh, uh, in Share Life was the sensory story. You missed it if you didn't come. It was absolute joy to be there. Uh, uh, it was well run by women in the church. They were so good. It was so beautiful to see. It brought, genuinely brought tears to my eyes, and even thinking about it now, it does. Um... They brought in, I don't know, eight or so uh, people with you know, massive educational and, and physical disabilities. Uh, and it was just beautiful to see these, these people. And they told a Bible story. They told creation. And just when it came to you know, water, they sprayed a little bit of spray on the face. And the faces lit up with joy. How oh, they were loving it. A little bit of wind. <gasps> and I sat there utterly rebuked in all my privileges. All my privileges. And I've never been that happy with a little spray on my face. All the senses God has given me and the educational ability that God has given me. And I've never been that happy over that. I'm so privileged, brothers and sisters. The gifts that God has given us we're so privileged. But not only that, we have a Bible. We have the Word of God. Do you see Jesus in that? Or do you use it to defend yourself or a pharisaical way? We have a gospel church. We have singing of songs. We have literature. We have our upbringing. We have money to spare. We're so utterly privileged. Do we take these things for granted? Or do they turn us to be a happy dog saying, I don't deserve any of this, God. 
You're so generous. The crumbs are so rich that they can't be called crumbs. They're baskets. I'm a happy dog in my dog basket. What a joy. Here's a second lesson. Do we miss the blessings of Jesus because we're offended by the gospel? You're a dog. Did you know that? You're a sinner. You've taken God's words and his privileges and you've broken every law in the book. You're a sinner. People don't like that, do they? You're a sinner. You've sinned in your mind and in your actions. You're a dog. You're a dog. You don't deserve anything. So will you come for crumbs? Oh, no. How dare. I'm going to knock him off the platform. I'm offended. I'm going to cancel him. I don't want this gospel. This gospel that says that you're a dog, but you can have the basket of crumbs. In that 1 Corinthians reading, it's staggering because he says the message itself of the cross is offensive to people, philosophers and ideologists and religious people. They hate the idea of a cross. Surely I work my way to God. Surely I clean myself up. Surely I do all the ritual laws. Surely I'm the one who does stuff and then God will put his thumb up to me. But the cross that God had to come into the world, I mean, that's ridiculous. That's just foolish that God the creator would become created. That God the great one would become small. It's madness to religion. It's madness to philosophy. How can you work this out? That God became small. The big became small. The strong became weak. But of course only God could do that. That he would come and die on a cross. What prophet dies on a cross? Why would he die on a cross? To take our sin. To take our judgment on the cross. This seems foolishness. The message is foolish. But it's not. It's the very wisdom of God. Because that's where we're saved. That's where we're cleansed. That's where all the evil impurities are brought out of us and placed on the cross and the judgment of God that's over Tyre and every other place is now poured upon Jesus. That's the wisdom of God. But not only that, don't we want to be something special in the world? Don't I want to be... Well, he says this in that 1 Corinthians passage, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world. Why? Why? To shame. This woman's been chosen to shame those with privilege. To shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world. To shame the strong. If you think you're strong and you've got something to offer God, then he chooses people like this woman. To shame us. If you think you're privileged, he chooses these people to shame us. Because that's how God works. There's a third thing. Do we miss the blessing because we focus on the outside, always the rituals and never being cleansed on the inside? There's a fourth thing. The message we have is for all people groups and the whole world. We have this privileged responsibility to take the baskets out. If you don't like our church filling up with people from all nations, 
then you're a Pharisee. It's wonderful. This message is for all people groups, all nations. We are to share. If we want to be a country that throws out the foreigner, we've gone miles away from the Christian faith. Miles away. Because we are to be people that are generous. Don't go over the harvest a second time. Leave it for the foreigner and the widows and the fatherless. That's to be us as Christians. And we need to reteach our nation that has become so utterly selfish that we want to shove any foreigner away into another country. You know, I don't talk politically much, but this is a disgrace. But that's what a Pharisee would do. So our job as Christians is to preach the message. Have a church that's full of different internationals. Say that we love the foreigner. Say that we love people and we have food for the world. And in our privilege, we will share and not reap constantly so that no one can have any of our gleanings. And then the last thing here. This is for those who believe in the doctrine of election or predestination. You ready? I love this. Because I do believe in that. But I love this woman because she says, basically, okay, I may not be elected, but wouldn't you give some crumbs to a dog? Spurgeon, his point on evangelism was, Lord, bring in the elect, and can you elect some more? And that's her attitude. And that's our attitude to evangelism. We go out believing that God will save and save more, please. Please save more. Let's go out there. Let's chuck the baskets out. Let's get people fed in the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some of the thoughts about the privileged position that we're in, brothers and sisters. Let's use our privilege to feed the unclean and see them come to Christ.